Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers and all other lovers of the Hebrew Scriptures. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. In just a few weeks, we've got a great Gila monster of an episode coming up for you. But until then, we are going to focus on something a little bit smaller, maybe like a little baby sea turtle of an episode this week, as Tim McNinch leads us in Haggai 1, 15b through 2.9, the lectionary text for November 10th. Take it away, Tim. All right. Well, you all know Haggai, right? Oh, yeah. Haggai, one of those minor prophets. So Haggai's prophetic ministry, at least the part that's preserved in this book, is actually somewhat minor on a time scale. It covers only about four months in the year 520 BCE. We know that date because it's actually given in the book itself. It's, it's listed as the second year of Darius I, which would have been 520. Yeah, I had a seminary professor who in our very last class of seminary said, just so you know, this is what Haggai accomplished in his first five months of ministry. What are you going to do? Yeah, right. <laughs> now in the, in the sweep of biblical history, what we're reading right here takes place uh, about a decade, a little more, after the exiles were permitted to return to Judah after the, their Babylonian captivity. Cyrus the, the Great came into power and overthrew the Babylonians and allowed some of the returnees to, to go back to their land. About a decade later, uh, a little more than that, uh, this is under Darius I, uh, Haggai is prophesying. And it's it's interesting to compare what Haggai has to say here with the book of Ezra, which covers uh, some of the same time period. In Ezra, the returnees from exile are eager to get back to the land and immediately reconstruct God's temple in Jerusalem. But here in Haggai, it takes a, a bit of a prophetic nudge to get these returnees off their duffs to get to work on a renewed temple for their God. The first several verses of Haggai's prophecy lay out the case. Poor agriculture and sort of general poverty are directly linked to the absence of God's temple. Get it built and God will bless you. It's a a little bit like the if you build it, they will come type of thing. (laughs) (laughs) And in a highly unusual turn of events for, for Jewish prophets... The, the leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest, actually listen to the prophet and get to work on the temple. That almost what? never happens. <laughs> so the next section in Haggai is a series of encouragements that even though this new temple that they're constructing is puny compared to its predecessor, God is still pleased with their efforts and will bless them for it. The, a key phrase is found in chapter 1, verse 13. I am with you, oracle of Adonai. This, this oracle is repeated in chapter 2, verse 4. Not only is this the kind of encouragement that the people need, it's super reminiscent of the kind of language that was used in the Exodus and Conquest stories from back at the time of another Joshua, to whom God said, Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. And in fact, Haggai makes this connection explicit in chapter 2, verse 5. I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. The last sentences of the lectionary section here are a promise that even though this reconstructed temple seems humble, 
God plans to soon fill it with riches and with glory. Glory is another key word in this text. It's the Hebrew word kavod. It comes up in chapter 1, verse 8, and then in chapter 2, verses 3 and 7 and 9. Glory means weight, presence, substance. What makes this temple splendid is the weighty presence of God who is willing to dwell within it. It's the glory of God that makes this effort glorious. And God promises that all the other sort of glitzy stuff will follow soon enough. So what can preachers make of a prophetic message like this, so far removed from us in history and so specifically about a particular building on the other side of the globe that actually hasn't been there for millennia? (laughs) Well, if we can access this text by way of analogy, like the New Testament does in considering the church, that is the Christian community of faith, to be like the temple in which the Spirit of God dwells, And there's lots of resonances from this particular historical moment for lots of church communities, especially for those who look at their efforts and feel like they're accomplishing so little in a world so full of big systemic problems. My angle on this text for a sermon would be to listen to the encouragements of Haggai, that such investments of time and money and energy and grief are worthwhile not necessarily for the big splash or lack of it, but because God is with us. The glory of God is our chief treasure, and that can motivate us to keep at the good and godly work our communities are doing. The lasting results are in God's hands. And there's a lot more that could be said about that, but there's a start. Oh, I love that. I I just I, I there was so much in what you said that I think was useful and helpful um, thinking, especially for small churches, uh, but even just for a, a really great, vivid sermon. Uh, you know, if you if you as a preacher take that word glory and kind of tease out what we usually mean by that in English, like if you think glory, I usually think of like bright lights and big and majestic. But as you said, Tim, that word means heavy and weighty. And what are the things that weigh on you in a good way? Like, you know, I'm a cat person. So when my cat lays on my chest and purrs, it's, oh, it's a great feeling or a sleeping child or a warm blanket. Like what are the things, what does the glory of God say to us when we think of it as a weighty thing? Um, And then this idea, too, that you lifted up of fear not, you know, we're starting to tip towards Advent here. And if you take that phrase and start to use it as a repetition in your weekly sermons, that could be a really beautiful way to lead up to Christmas. And maybe even you might write your Christmas Eve sermon along the way. So great work, Tim. Thanks. If you are interested in more of what we got to say, head on over to iTunes or any podcast subscribing app to pick us up and listen to us some more. And if you found something helpful here, uh, we'd ask that you share it with just one other person. Uh, Bring it to your tech study. uh, Let someone know through Facebook about us. We'd love to spread the word and get people preaching out of the Old Testament a little bit more. If you want to see past episodes, head on over to firstreadingpodcast.com and you can find more of our stuff there. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McMinch. Thanks for listening and happy preaching.